Hello everybody, thank you for joining. Although this is chronologically the second episode, this was the very first episode recorded with Jim McLeod, aka Ginger Nuts of Horror. He's a reviewer within the horror community, the biggest in the UK, one of the biggest overall. He's a real delight to talk to. He's a real knowledgeable guy, but uh, you'll find that out in this episode. I hope you enjoy it. I wanted to first address something that is probably really important to a lot of people. Um, we all get stressed out. We get really roped into it pretty quick, especially nowadays with uh, the internet and all. You mentioned that uh, your dog de-stresses you. You went on a walk and it helped a lot. So I was just curious, how often does that come into play with uh, your dog or, or other animals to calm you down? Well, with, with the dog, I mean, I, I work night shift and I work four nights a week. So I've always got three days off. Um, so my three days off, the dog gets a real good sort of two, two and a half hour, maybe three hour walk, depending on how tired I am. Uh, and the days when I'm sort of working, just a quick, I just give her a quick hour walk. But whenever I walk the dog, the only thing I've got with me is my phone. It's on silent. It's not so much airplane mode, but the only calls that I that can get through are my wife, the kids and the kids' schools. So I never even, the phone never comes out of my pocket unless I get a phone call. If I get a phone call, I know <laughs> something's up. <laughs> oh, and absolutely. It's, I use that as my complete sort of de-stress time from, from everything, from all social media, even, I try and say I don't think about the website, but I'm always thinking about the website and, you know, going through <laughs> ideas for reviews and everything. But I think it's a complete and utter break from all technology and all electronics. You're out in the wild, the fresh air. I mean, there's very little sun here. It's always wet and raining or cold and frosty. But it's it's that, I think. I think it's the getting away from everything that yeah, stresses I, me. Because I think everything that stresses me has got something to do either do with social media or the website. Because, you know, you, know, you know what it's like. There's always pressures. You can never, there's never a moment where you think, right, that's everything done. Oh, you know what? So, uh, you, know, you, you do have to take yourself away, I think, from it. And and, and that's what, what does it. And it's just, you know, it's, it's a bit of the exercise. It's, yeah, it does. I think I think if I had, didn't have the dog, we've only had her for, what, two and a half years? I think I may have given up the website by now and just given up on social media because it just, maybe it's just me, the way my brain works, but everything just seems to get on top. And I, I do, I need this complete detoxification from it every single day almost wow that's uh really interesting so your dog's the one basically that's saving it uh with you and it's actually helping a lot of people so your dog's uh kind of helping a whole lot of us out <laughs> my i got a dog and uh well, well, I got a, but, you know oh. they, they just they can be quite you know you know what a cat's like it only really wants affection when it wants affection but <laughs> Still, you know, even even it's a weird thing just just seeing them like with, with one of our cats the oldest one jack he's sort of semi-feral so you know we can go days even weeks without actually seeing him but when you do see him it's like hey jack and you do you, your spirit lifts when you see him because you know they, they don't expect anything from you you know they don't want you to you know you know what i mean yeah, exactly yes and I it's do. just like you know they're happy to see you and so when they're happy to see you you get lifted up as well it's a silly little thing but makes a big difference uh, it's something that kind of people forget, which is why animals to me are so important because they're just pure. They're all good. The only yeah. way they're going to be bad is if a person trains them to be bad. 
Yeah, I've I've said that all along. There's no such thing as a as a bad dog. It's just a badly trained dog. And honestly, I don't think there's a bad animal either. Like there's some pretty fucking tough and like there's a lion is a lion, but that's they're not mean. They're just a lion. Yes. Uh, yeah. They're just being what they are. You know, there's no. They don't think. Oof! I'm going to really screw that fucking antelope over today. That one's really pissed me off. I'm going for it. You know, it's an antelope. <laughs> I'm hungry. I'm going for it. And speaking of a lion being a lion, what about a gym being a gym? Like, for those that maybe are new to the horror community, just if if you can break down who you are and how you got started into this. I actually don't know your genesis. How did that start? My genesis is kind of like a sort of blueprint for who I am and my life in general and how things go. Um it all started off as just basically something to do when I was off work for something like 12 or 14 weeks after getting an operation on my arm and my hip. I needed a complete um, bone trans bone transplant in my left hand and a couple of metal plates put in. Wow. And I was on, it's a now defunct, you know, the old days when you had forums rather than Facebook and MySpace? Yeah. There was a, I think it was the British Horror Novels writers forum or something along that line it was british horrors or a writer something or other and there's people like willie meekle on it um i think stephen seville was there ian woodhead um and i was just in there you know because you know something to do before even before you know, before i was off just farting around as a as i always like to do on on the internet sure and they suggested, you know, if you've got nothing to do and i was kind of housebound for the first bit because so much bone had been taken out of my hip they said, you know, why don't you just sort of do these sort of rolling interviews where the, the interviews never stopped and any author could sort of jump in at any point. Mm. So it was like this constant interview that, you know, could have gone on for like six months with people jumping in and talking and chatting. Wow. So I started doing that and and uh, Willie said, you know, you've got get a bit of a knack for doing this sort of thing. Maybe try sort of reviewing some books. So I started reading some books and, you know, I mean, I look back at some of those early reviews and it's they're embarrassing, but... <laughs> You know, he said, you know, she set up your own website. So I went to set up my own website and it was supposed to be called the Ginger Nutcase of Horror because I was ginger and I was nutty about horror. Right. But I was absolutely out of my face on prescription painkillers for the pain that I was un- under. <laughs> so when I went to register it and I was eating a packet of ginger nuts at the time, I must have just got my brain completely confused and registered it as the Ginger Nuts of Horror. Uh, so, you know, I thought, OK, I'll, I'll run with that. <laughs> and then a few years later, you know, I never even had the Ginger Nuts logo at all with the packet of Ginger Nuts. I don't know if, you know, for the American folk, it's a ginger-based sort of crispy, snappy biscuit that's really big over in here in Britain. Yeah, I was going to ask. And I then, had no, no idea what those were. And then someone just off the back, I think it was Mark West, a British horror author, created a, a very basic sort of image of it for the website. And then someone else took that on and then made it to what the image was until I got the the, so the whole re logo thing done mm. a few weeks ago. And since then, I've always been in a constant battle with McVitie's who make the ginger nut biscuits to sort of hit the top spot on Google when you search <laughs> for ginger nuts. Um, I've kind of let let that slip. I think I'm down to about page two now when you search ginger nuts. Even Gordon Ramsay's beating me now, which is a real pity. But you know, once <laughs> you're off the first page, you're done. Actually, uh, once you're off the first page, you're done. 
I know, it's terrible. <laughs> by Gordon Ramsay and McVitie's. I think even Mary Berry's on there now. Wow. Beat by the judge from um, Great British Bake Off. But I've always wondered that if do McVitie's know about me? Because I've always wondered about the legal side of, of using their packet of biscuits as my logo. Oh wow! But, I didn't even think of that. Have you? So you haven't run into an actual legal a lawsuit? Uh, not yet, no. But I've always wondered about should I contact them and wonder if they would maybe want to sponsor me? Because over here, I don't know if it happens in America, but we've got these uh, Cadbury's mini fingers, like a stick of biscuit covered in chocolate, and every oh, Halloween they turn them into fangs, so like they put like a sort of cartoon vampire on the packet. Yeah. I always thought you know perfect uh, you know example for. Um, getting some sponsorship from McVitie's, but I thought it's probably best not to draw attention to myself. <laughs> if they know about it, but, you know, and they realise that I've gotten, you know, I'm not really affecting their side of the business or, even you know, their reputation, then that's yeah. fine. But I think maybe if I shined a spotlight on myself and said, hey, come on, guys, give me some money, I think they might, you know, then maybe take it further. But Oh, yeah, that's a trigger point. Uh, trigger point. <laughs> yeah, I'm certainly not taking on McVitie's biscuits. <laughs> taken on a lot of idiots over the years on the internet, but I don't think I'll take on them. That's a big, I imagine, a big hill to climb. Um, yeah. So, so I, I'm not sure if I'm getting this number correctly, but it looks like you got about 20 contributors. Is it more than that at this point? Um, I would probably say it's about eight core contributors. And it probably is about 20. But I've always had this complete open-door policy because I I mean, the site was basically set up as, as a joke. Well, not as a joke, but it's basically something to do for me while I was recuperating. And I never in a million years expected it to even, you know, anybody look at it, let alone turn into the monster that it's become. <laughs> and it must have been, see, I, I'm terrible with time and I, I have no, cons- because of my job, because everything is basically focused on minutes and hours, if my whole, I have no concept of time outside a day. Right. So, you know, you asked me what, you know, for even the other night, <laughs> I got, I couldn't even remember how old I was. I couldn't <laughs> even work out, you know, my age, even though it's, you know, a very simple calculation because, you know, you're coming up to, yeah, I'm not even want to think about how, how old I'm coming up to. <laughs> but so I think it was maybe after four or five years of doing it on my own, I started bringing in people. The odd, the odd sort of person here and there and then just over the years people have joined there's people who have maybe written two articles in the last four years but as far as I'm concerned they're still part of what I like to call us as a family rather than a you know than a team of reviewers you know because th- these people the friendships have grown and solidified over the years I mean at the moment I'm writing the introduction for Kits My Life and Horror Book which has just hit the crowdfunding target and basically, my whole introduction is going to be about how my friendship with Kit has solidified and, and how he's been such a stabilising force in my life over the years. And I think without Kit, I think I would have got myself in a hell of a lot of bother with huge, massive online fights and feuds. So, yeah, uh, yeah, uh, there's, there's 20 people. There's, there's pe- people who haven't contributed for a couple of years, but they, they know it's an open door policy. There's always a seat by the fire and a glass of whiskey if they want it. Oh. And they just send an article in and bump, it'll get put, put up on the site as soon as I can actually get round to doing it. That's great. That's an o- offer I would love. Like, whiskey, just that alone. Let's be friends. <laughs> but as far as Kit goes, I actually was hoping we could address this. So 
Right now we're recording. It's February, uh, what is it, 17th, 2020. Uh, By the time this episode releases in the initial launch, um, it should be the end of May. And that would that not be right when his books are supposed to hit uh, publication date? He's looking to launch at StokerCon. Okay. Scarborough this year. Now, if my if I remember correctly, I think that's round about the 14th of April, sort of the middle of April. So, yeah, the, book, the books will have been launched by by the time this podcast goes live. OK, so um, I got a uh, as a, I told you, but as a birthday and I told a kid, actually, as a birthday gift from my siblings, I said, I just want one thing. I would love a deluxe a deluxe collector's edition of Kit's book. I gave him the link, and uh, that would be my first collectible, uh, quote-unquote collectible book that I've ever bought. So that's not leaving my home. I'm just going to read it here. Um, w- what can you tell us? Because by then it'll be out for a month or so if all goes according to plan. Is there is there anything that you can reveal besides the introduction that uh, you're, you're going to write? Um, no, there's not really much I can reveal. I mean, it's it's basically for for those who don't know, it's the first volume of Kit's My Life and Horror article that's been on the site, and his uh, they're just fascinating articles. You know, he'll he'll pick films. Uh, even one one of the things he did was the um one of the world's LP. You know, the Jeff Lynn knows it. Jeff Lynn or Jeff Wayne. I always get the two of them convinced, con- uh, confused. It's I'm not, not the sure. guy from ELO, so whoever the guy in ELO is, it was the other <laughs> Jeff. I'm not sure. Um, you know, and it's all about how these, you know, films, albums, books, comics. He, the brilliant one he did on um, the Killing Joke, the Batman comic. Yeah. And how they affected him at the point of where of when he first read it, and how the article has now affected him as uh, as you know to become the writer that he is today. And they're just, I mean, they're so heartfelt, so earnest and honest that they're just brilliant. So, but what he's done is rather than just republishing each individual article on the site, he's he's re-edited, he's expanded them, he's added bits in and like even like how his opinions on them have changed since the initial writing and stuff like that. Mm. And I think there's a few sort of exclusive um, articles in there, but it's 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 a book that if you haven't backed it now and when it goes on general sale you, know, you have to get a copy of the, the ebook at least because they are amazing articles oh, I agree. well not my introduction you know <laughs> does the book any justice you know just skip that part and just go straight into his stuff because it's it's, <laughs> it's fascinating his articles and um i don't know if kit's made it public and I, I feel i can say it but kit feels that the the whole my life and horror series has sort of reached its end point if you know what i mean um, I, so I think I think Kit's going to be rounding up that his that his my life from column col, uh, horror column this year. You know what? Which, you know, know, it breaks my heart, but I, I fully understand because everything does have a lifespan. I know um, Alex Davis, who did the film gutter series, which was our column on extreme, obscure, and very very weird horror films. Right. He felt exactly the same way because you know life changes. You know he. Yep. He used to just work part time. He's now got a full time job, and and he wanted it to be a weekly column, like how Kit wants his to be a monthly column. So if you can't commit to that, you just feel you're not doing the column the justice that it deserves. And I, I do think that again, you know, it broke my heart when Alex said that he couldn't do it, but I fully understood, you know, and 
I think even when I first spoke to Alex about it, I was having one of I get wobbles about the website. I um, I know what you mean. <laughs> you know, and I feel that's I think see this is it. I can't even remember if I'm coming up for ten years or eleven years because I honestly can't really remember exactly when I set the site up, which I should be able to because it was the year I had this massive operation. But as I said, I have no concept of time whatsoever. <laughs> And I was thinking, it's, you know, 10 years, it's, it's had a good run because, I mean, you'll know exactly exactly what it's like. It's it's a thankless job at times. And the amount of money that I've pumped into this site over the years, it's, it's never once in any year made any profit whatsoever. Mm. I have sell, you know, I do sell a bit of advertising. There is a Patreon account, but they barely cover the costs of the web hosting because you know what these web hosts are like every year they jump the price up as soon as your traffic goes up they jump the price up because you've got more traffic as soon as you start hitting sort of key figure points and the amount of data that you've actually got on the site and you know there's 10 years worth of god knows how many articles that are on there you know that's it's scary how much money of myself that I've pumped in i think I, uh, I was thinking, I don't know if I can actually afford to keep it going anymore. Wow. And I was just, so, you know, I was talking, I was thinking, you know what, 10 years, it could be a good sort of point at which to say goodbye. Oh, that would suck. It would suck major. And I, I honestly don't know what I would do with myself. I, I really don't. I mean, a few years ago, I had a major wobble. Just, it was like one of the worst weeks of my life. Just everything seemed to go wrong within like family, work, friends. Some idiot on the website had, who used to be a reviewer for me, had uh, fallen out with me because I had discovered that he was a extreme right wing, racist, homophobe, transphobe, you name it. He was a phobe. So I, I booted him off the site and then he went crying to, uh, What's his name? Vox Day and all that lot. I can't remember if they were the sad puppies or the angry puppies. I can't remember which one was which because I never really paid that much attention to it. Yeah. So I went through about a period of a month of getting cyber attacks and, you know, abuse from all these bunch of scumbags. And I thought, well, it's just not worth it. So I did. I didn't even tell anyone that was it. I just, I closed my every social media account, didn't update the website at all. It must have been about a month. And then I got an email from um, Phil Sloman who says, look, you, Jim, you need to go on social media. You need to come back on Facebook. Just just come back and have a look. Came back on and I don't know, there must have been 100, 200 people that were on my Facebook account had changed their profile pictures to the website logo as a sort of sign of, um, you know, come on, come back, you know, we support you and everything. And just seeing that, I, I thought I have to do it. But in that month of not having it, I, I didn't, I didn't know what to do with myself. I couldn't, I couldn't sit. I couldn't relax because it's like, I've, I've got nothing, you know, because your whole life seems to become revolved around this. I mean, I used to do photography and I thought I'll get back into photography, but I never, I just gone, I don't know what to do. So I don't, it's not going to close because I, 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 I can't see it closing unless, you know, the, uh, Hosting bills become, oh, Jesus, this is, you know, a choice between putting food on the table and uh, <laughs> keeping the website going. Oh, yeah. I, this, this, last year was good. Last year was good. I, I I think I was about £50 away from actually raising all the costs that it does to keep the website going through the Patreon and advertising. So, you know, that to me, that, that that's a win. Because I've never wanted the site to make money because I think as soon as you start making money and it becomes about money, 
Yeah, yeah I think it's you know, you're not, not having a go at places like Scream and Fangoria because you know they were they've always been a business, but I think you see it in in lots of review websites. You know, not not necessarily in horror. You know, I wouldn't want anyone to think I'm having a go at them, but you you, you read the reviews of books and films, and you know those books and films are are, are driven by the advertising. I'm sure you have a couple. I know people used to work for for a big genre magazine and they did have a editorial rule that if it was a major publisher, they weren't allowed to give it anything less than a three star review. Wow. So basically anyone who had you know like a full page advert in the magazine, it had to be three star and above, and I think I could never get into a situation like that because No. Probably see them my biggest <laughs> biggest failing or my biggest uh, good attribute is I just tell it as it is. I, I don't sugarcoat anything. I don't I don't try and butter people up. If I think it's crap, I'll tell you it's crap because it's got me in a lot of bother at work. It's got me in a lot of bother in my personal life. But if you can't tell the truth without deliberately trying to hurt someone's feelings, then there's just there's just no point opening your mouth. Agreed. Uh, you actually, so I, th- I think it was 2015. I, I joined the horror community, kind of under the radar, cause like I'm, I'm still not really published. And back in 2015, the first set of people I ever kind of knew anything about was like you, Kit, uh, Justin Park, and um, a few other guys that you're connected to. Um, so I, I've actually talked to Kid a lot. Me and him had an in-depth interview uh, for his book last yeah, month. Yeah, I thought it was a fantastic interview. Yeah, yeah I, I knew I knew of Kit, and me and him had talked vaguely before then. I'm glad I did that interview because I really got to know him well. I think I feel like he got to know me pretty well. Uh, we went back and forth through messaging, besides the emails, and I just bring that up because. Uh, you two speak very highly of each other. It's like you both, not like, you guys are brothers, and I'm just curious, where else could you get that if it wasn't for the internet? Like, I would have never known you or, like, God, I don't even know how many people I've met through social media that I consider a dear friend. Yeah, I mean, I I, I hate this. There's so many people, probably mainly from the generation above, certainly me, <laughs> who you go oh, social media it's terrible you don't make real friends and it's absolute nonsense absolute yeah. nonsense if it wasn't for social media the only people I would talk to outside of my family are the sort of five or six people that I meet every day when I would go out walking the dog wow you know I, I wouldn't actually say and it sounds sad and pathetic like, no no not at all with, with no friends but my work friends are not friends, you know what I mean? Yeah, I, And I've never socialised outside work with my friends. I never go on work nights out because I've had too many bad experiences of that. You know, like the night where I was in the toilet doing my business and some woman came in who, who, who I worked with with a door off the cubicle in the female toilets and tried to smash the head of, some, of her boyfriend because she had caught her boyfriend snogging some other woman who worked with us. And I thought, that, that's <laughs> never again am I going on a work night out. <laughs> you know, so so yeah if it wasn't for social media i probably wouldn't it sounds pathetic but i would have no friends oh, and yet doesn't... the friends i've made like kit justin uh phil sloman tracy fahey penny jones oh god you know you could go on and on and on 
they are they're like brothers and you know as you as you said with with kit i actually mentioned that, that kit i described kit in the in the introduction as uh my younger smarter and more intelligent brother that's fair and and i'm not trying to put words in him, his mouth but uh speaking to him i mean the way he talks about you you guys are pretty it's like you're stealing each other's words pretty much like you guys <laughs> have a high regard for each other. I know I already said that, but it's just so fascinating to hear you guys talk about each other pretty much the same way. I love it. And it makes me happy. Yeah. It's, it's, and it's weird, especially, I think, you know, the initial sort of um, contact between me and Kit was he sent his book in for review. And I don't even think I initially replied to his email. <laughs> that makes two of us. <laughs> so, and, and then I think it was, I think he decided, and again, I, I should know. I should know how someone like Kit came into my life, but it's that long ago. I can, you know, I can barely remember this morning, let alone, you know, five, six, seven years ago. Right. And I think he sent in an article, and it was a fantastic article, brilliant stuff. And then I think I approached him saying, would you, you know, do you fancy writing a, you know, not, not even a monthly article, just, you know, whenever you've got time, chuck an article, I'll be happy to pull this in. And then that morphed into my life and horror and, just the avenues that it's opened up for for both Kit and, and myself. Um, Kit did did one on Gremlins, and it became I haven't read the that one biggest yet. article that, that had ever been shared on the site. Mm. And I, I'm annoyed with myself because last year I upgraded the website from an HTTP website to an HTTPS website, and the plugin that I used for the shares and all that, everything that had been published prior to the upgrade got completely zeroed. Oh. And at that point. And it's like, oh, and at that point, the Gremlins one had had, had over 5,000 shares. Holy shit. And it actually got back to Joe Dante, or at least Joe Dante's um, sort of publicists and agents and whatnot, you know, management team. And they saw it, and that led to me being able to actually interview Joe Dante for the website. You know, it's, okay. and, you know I mean, that was all through, through Kit. That would never have happened if he had never written that article. And then, you know, to hear that, Kit has got, you know, a good couple of book deals that have been based, like, you know, the um, the monograph series for um, PS Publishing, mm-hmm. his Tommy book. That was based on on Neil Snowden, who sort of curates that whole series, having read Kit's articles from the website and loving what Kit does. And that just fills me with so much joy to know that so many people who have contributed to the site have managed to further their career just by being on the site. And it's, it's fun a fantastic feeling you know you feel like a, a, a proud dad and you know that's your little children and you're giving them a a pat on the head saying well done guys <laughs> and then you, you know as, as you mentioned justin justin he has made it public um you know one of his books has been optioned for a film and that right. was based on the uh, producer reading the review on the website that's awesome and it's like my god you know that that could be life-changing for justin and oh yeah that's that happened because you know we just happened to review one of his books and that just that's such an because you always feel you know uh, is it worth doing uh, what I do does it have any impact on anyone's life because mm. you know I used to I mean this is I used to have that you know the Amazon Associates account and for some reason either someone's reported me because people like to report me to everybody my Facebook account is, is screwed because someone's reported me but I've lost the Amazon Associates privileges so i can't see i used to be able to see how many books were sold from every review 
because you get that monthly report on how many books and well how many stuff you've sold so i don't get that anymore but i can see how many click-throughs i get through the program that i use to create you know these sort of universal amazon links and you do there's like five six hundred clicks through for for the majority of book reviews and and links on the site but then i have no idea what the conversion rate is because it's all well and good clicking through right but it's, you know, it's getting the person to make because there's a lot of apathy in in the genre about that clicking that final purchase link but right. I, I used to make i think it was something like a two percent you got a two percent commission for every book that i sold and up until the two years ago before i lost the amazon associates privileges I was making about oh four to six hundred pounds a year just on that two percent. And then so I'm not I'm not sure what the conversion 50, rate is. So that, yeah, that's that's pushing ten grand's worth of stock, isn't it? If ten, my brain's ten, working this out. Ten grand for American money. Uh, be, uh, it was sort of the American one. I never really paid much attention to that because Amazon wouldn't allow me to transfer the money that I made from that to the UK account. So. I just always sort of sat there. Um, I think at the last time I checked it, there was there's about three hundred dollars in it. But I now use that for for all the the American people that that review for me, rather than getting the publishers or the authors, especially if it's a an author, because the shipping costs between the UK and America are, are, are scary. It's probably it's almost as cheap just buying the book in America. So I use that account to send copies of the books to my American reviewers. So yeah, I mean that was probably about about ten grand worth of UK money plus whatever was in America. Wow, that's and that's fucking good. <laughs> yeah, uh huh. But now now I have no idea, and it's really annoying because it's not about the money; it's about knowing. I would love to know what the impact was. I know, right. I don't know if you know him, Graham Reynolds. He writes the Highmore trilogy of um, werewolf books, and he runs horrific tales. Um, I know when his first book of for Highmore came out. You know, he said I'm the not, sales were pretty deadline and flat on it, and then I reviewed the book, and it just woof spikes off off the off the uh, off the scale as soon as my review went up. Okay, and it would um, be in a way, I wish authors, and it's, it sounds really arrogant, but I wish I wish people would let me know if it's had an impact on them at all once the review's gone up, because you just like to know are you are you helping these people out. That's a good point you make because I've actually reached out to a few people and my since I've been like I said in the horror community I, only last year when I started uh, contributing and now running Deadhead reviews I um I I'm starting over the last six months actually not even a year started to know more people and then once you know one person it just it's a domino effect so yeah. Uh, there's a lot to catch up on, basically. So I'm, <laughs> I'm trying to do what I can, and um, I lost my train of thought. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, uh, yeah. So you go ahead, Jim. Forgot what I was gonna say. My, my bad. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah. I mean, the community's good. There's, there's, as well, and there's a few people that annoy you, and I'm sure I annoy hundreds of people, but. The community as a whole is, is fantastic and, and to know that the majority of us like to work together, to promote everybody together and because, I mean, there's some people have got this kind of weird weird notion that 
people like us who do reviews are, are, are going to make a big name for ourselves and going to make lots of money and, <laughs> you know, be well known. If, if I mean, I know for a fact that one of the biggest UK horror authors up until a few years ago still had to have a part time job. So if if an author can't make a living out of writing, there's no way any of us are ever going to make a living out of reviewing a genre that is looked upon by 80% of the reading, probably more than 80% of the reading sort of public is, what the hell are you doing? What is that? You know, we've always been the the black sheep, the, the sort of genre that likes to flounder around in the gutter, you know, staring up at the wonderfulness of fantasy, science fiction and crime. <laughs> but, but there is still some people who seem to think, and they think it's a competition, and it's not because... You know, people will read reviews on my site and they go and read reviews on your site. I read reviews on your site and your articles every day that you post them. And I appreciate that. There's no, you know, but there's there still just seems to be this weird notion that we all have to be sniping at each other and yeah, and it does my head. And I seem I don't know, maybe it's because I'm probably one of the longest running people that's been doing it. You know, that's ten, eleven years. You know, there's. I've seen so many websites come and go because, you know, a lot a lot of it has been the financial side and time side. And I sometimes I feel like, you know, I'm the, uh, you know, in the classic Western film, the old, the old gunslinger that everybody wants to have a, you know, a duel at dawn with, you know, see if they're quicker <laughs> than that, the fastest draw in the West. And it gets tiring at times. And I have to admit, at times I become an arsehole and I bite back, but it's, it's human nature, you know, everybody's got a breaking point and, but I try not to, I mean, I've not had a huge, huge, I used to have social media meltdowns, oh, at least every three months. And I think that's now coming up for two years that I've not had a major one. Well, that's good. And actually, so I feel proud of myself every now and then. Yeah. I, you know how you get that little devil on your shoulder, you think, go for it, come on, it's going to be fun. But then I think, no, come on, I need to grow up. I need to be mature. But You'd there's always a- that little, devil at the shoulder whispering in your ear but you think no come on let's just just keep your mouth shut for a change Let, let's hope for my sake because my wife would murder me i feel like if i ever met you in person it'd be a good time for us but a bad time for everyone else because yeah, if you well, give, give jimmy and pat some drink uh-oh <laughs> well i don't know after this weekend i don't think i can handle it anymore <laughs> It was so bad, God. I had an old friend from Ireland come over for the weekend, and the last time she was over, you know, we started drinking as soon as she got off the plane and didn't stop drinking until she got back onto the plane a few days later. (laughs) This weekend, you know, Sunday night, we thought, ah, we're just going to stay in and finish off the carry-out of alcohol that we had, and we didn't even manage to finish it. I think there's still two bottles of cider left and we're just both looking at each other thinking we're getting fucked old for this and, <laughs> and I hated myself because you know she'd come all the way over from Ireland I thought come on let's get it out let's get the old Jimmy and Fiona train rolling again and I didn't <laughs> think it left the station <laughs> oh my god well hey no offence but you and I are getting older I can't do what I did 10 years ago no no I mean my, my job is so physical it's slowly but surely killing me or at least putting me in a wheelchair at some point i mean there was me i was off work for what five weeks over christmas after slipping a disc yeah i remember and i think jesus you come on you know i'm still you know i'm i'm the strong you know i'm the 
I'm the strong man. I shouldn't be doing this, but no, it is. It's just, and it's like, even God Christ, I'm looking at the thing. I need to go and buy fairy focal glasses. <laughs> and it's like, I'm, I'm not doing that. If I do that, that, that's, that's me basically. I may as well just get myself a slipper, pair of slippers, a dressing gown, and just put myself in an old folks home because no, <laughs> that's the final. And I, I can't do it, even though I need to do it because, you know, I can't see the numbers of the buses that I need to get to and from work. You know, the book's getting further and further away as I read it. You know, I might have to get an extension to my arm, I think, in a few months to be able to read the book. But oh no, it I could, refuse to do it. It could be an opportunity for you to embrace a new role. And I actually want to bring up something from from my point of view. The two people, and I've said this to the two of you a lot. It's probably annoying at this point. The two people I look up to most reviewer-wise and just in general in the community is you and Sadie Hartman. She's over here in America. You're over there in the UK, which is kind of cool because, like, the father and mother of all of us, you guys both look out for everyone except for something that I embrace, except for people that are trying to fuck over other people. And, And you guys put them in their place pretty quickly. Yeah, but the the flip side of that is me and say they always seem to be the looked upon as you know sometimes as the bullies. You know there was a big thing of you know a year or two ago. You know we were the bullies because some other person was acting like an arsehole. That's crazy. And it's like you know all all you could hear is prove it, prove it, prove it. Oh, I never <laughs> said that. I never said that. It says you did. And it's like you know what? I mean, Sadie is just absolutely amazing. I love it when people like you and Sadie and um, Barks from Barks Book and all that. Oh, Laurie. I, yeah, yeah. Yeah. She's great. Most of you people, I, I think I sort of connected with all of these round about the same time. No kidding. Uh, you know, I haven't, I didn't really know Sadie and, and um, Lillian from Sci-Fi and Scary and, and Tracy and all that lot. Really, uh, maybe a couple of years at the most. Maybe you know they, they've certainly been doing it for for longer, but it's just you know you know how Twitter it takes time to make connections, and especially when it's UK going over to America and all that, it does yeah. seem to be harder making that sort of network and spider web of people. And so I thought, wow, this is you know this is the new for for me anyway, the you know the new crowd coming up, and I'm looking at what they're doing, and I'm thinking this is this is brilliant, you know it, it's I felt re reinvigorated and I thought right I need to start up in my game because you do you start feeling as though you're you know sitting on your laurels and you look at like Sadie's Instagram um, feed it's it's just unbelievable I've, I've never got Instagram and I, I don't think I'll ever ever use it <laughs> but you know you look at what she does and she in the short time that she's been doing it you know writing for uh, Scream Magazine and Cemetery Dance and yeah. all that it's it's oh, so well deserved, and it's like you know what people like that are so needed in the genre. Oh, you yeah. need these people that are coming up and giving me the kick in the backside that I need, and you know people that've been doing it for as long as me, and it gives a whole fresh new perspective on it. And and I love that the actual reviewing community is so great. vibrant at the moment. Yeah, and everybody, and it's brilliant because you know like you guys and like say the you through no fault of your own because it's always been this way you, you do seem to concentrate more on the american side of the publishing now was it michael was it michael patrick hicks who put put that web post up in a response to was it like cracked or some you know some sort of non-genre website you know the uh, small publishers that you should read uh, and most yeah. of them weren't small publishers so he put a a, a rebuttal uh, up against it 
and most, I think, I think, in fact, like every single small publisher he listed was American. Mm. But there's all, I think it's always been that way. I think even music, maybe not so much films now, but certainly music and books. There's, there's never, there's always been a big sort of traveling over from America to the UK, but the, the journey back, the sort, it's never, never the same. It's always much harder for people from the UK to, to get noticed in America. You, you know what? So, you know, and it's like, I sort of made a wee sort of Twitter response to his one, listing right, all right. The, the UK ones. But I love though the how how between sort of like myself and the other sort of UK based sites and and you guys, we have all the great stuff completely covered between us. And there there is the occasional yeah. crossover. I mean, I know a lot of you guys loved um, Stephen King's The Institute, and yet over here, myself and Tony Jones and a few other people on the site absolutely hated it. I never read it. <laughs> yeah. I'm too busy uh, reading indie horror at the moment. <laughs> yeah. And I think it was the same. I think, uh, no, I'm, I think it was like a Josh Mallerman book. You know, it was like people, I think the, I don't know. Is it, is, is it a cultural difference and, and stuff? Cause I've always found it hard to read Stephen King. I've, he's, I've, to be honest, I think I've only ever finished three of his books. I would never say he's not a, fantastic author it's just he, he's never ever connected with me in any level other than just right i've read your book if you know I, what i mean i've never felt yeah no i need I, to read him and i think is that a cultural thing rather than a personal taste thing i don't know i mean he is still huge over here but i think i, think, I know the answer to that um I, I i was coincidentally listening to staring into the abyss which is michael patrick hicks yes um it's uh, Scott Kemper and uh, Matt Brandenburg. Uh, they were talking about I, – I, it was an older episode. They were talking with John F.D. Taft, and I believe that was the episode. They were talking about Stephen King, and they said that he tackles the um, small-time America, which, believe it or not, it, it covers a lot of area in the entire country. Um Whereas they compare him to Clive Barker, why has he never been huge here? And besides the fact that he's British, I don't know how it's the word, but Clive Barker seems like he reaches a more complicated uh, level of how the human psyche works. So I think to answer your question, it's that he King focuses on on Maine and a lot of American like uh daily living and that's not the same as uk yeah uh-huh yeah that, that's i can't think of a maybe no maybe ramsey campbell because uh, i don't yeah i don't think there is a uk author that has the same approach to setting and characters as, as king does over here you know where it is uniquely sort of speaking to a sort of set group of people yeah your small town america I don't know, Rich maybe, Hawkins. I think, I think, <laughs> sorry? Rich Hawkins. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. But, you know, <laughs> at least every now and then you get a happy ending with Stephen King. There's no such thing as a Rich Hawkins happy ending. I think, oh, he's, I think I he's a bit too Hawkins, dark and man. brutal for, for, uh, I don't know. I think maybe, maybe I'm speaking out of turn here, but I think the UK embraces darkness a bit better than America. You know, you look at the American version of The Office compared to the UK one. <laughs> the UK one, it, it's dark and, you know, you, oh, yeah. you feel no sympathy for David Brent. You just think he's an absolute prick. But you look at the American one and you, you feel sorry for Michael Scott. You just want Michael to be happy and to be 
loved by everybody. I, I, I don't I don't know if the U if the UK one if the American office kept that darkness that the UK one had. No, um, if I'm it would work. But, I mean, then again, you you know, you guys have got things like Always Sunny in Philadelphia and the <laughs> League, and I don't you can't get darker comedy than that. I mean, that is oh, no. brutal stuff. I'm actually a fan of both uh, the offices, and I when I first watched the UK version, I was like, whoa, wait, that's First off, they say cunt a lot, and if you say yeah. that, don't say that in America. Like, look, I don't want to speak for everyone. If you say it to a woman, that's something you can never get back from. I, I know it's different over there, but over here, good good luck. <laughs> yeah, well, see, that, that's the thing. You, you must have seen, was it um, Gemma's Twitter post about how to write English and how you know we're talking about swearing all that. Over here, oh, especially in Scotland, swearing is is in in when we talk, it's used as um, it's used as basically uh, punctuation. <laughs> and you know, I, you know, like um, she she was going on about Fanny, and I says, "Whoa, is yes. she in Scotland? Fanny is completely different. Fan, Fanny isn't just an insult. It depends on which word that you place before Fanny." Uh-huh. Because you know, Fanny can mean just oh, he's silly, but you know, you fool. Come on, come here, you Fanny. Come here, you Fanny, and give me a hug. But it can also mean if you you put utter, total, or complete, it's meant as an insult. And it's the same with you know, with cunt, fuck, shit. You know, it's it's not the word. It's it's the word that we use before it. Right. You know, you you could call someone yeah, daft cunt, and you actually mean that as as uh, <laughs> not as an insult. You know, you know, it's the terms in terms of endearment almost. It's absolutely weird how how our outlook towards swearing is completely different to the American way of doing it. Yeah, like it, over in America, fanny means ass, and uh, over yes. uh-huh. in, in England it means pussy. <laughs> yeah, uh-huh. or, or or idiot is up in Scotland. But they see that's uh, due, due, uh, I used to read the um, the Bloomfield County comic strip. We used okay. to get them over here in the sorry. Omnibus editions or graphic novelty type things, you know, with probably a year's worth of strips. And I remember Opus the Penguin going on and on about his fanny. And I'm going, eh? This is supposed to be like a sort of kids' peanutsy type thing that's in national newspapers. You can't be using a fanny. And it took me about a year to realize what America meant as a fanny because I had never heard of a fanny pack. <laughs> I must have been, what, 17, 18 when I started reading those comic strips? I'd never heard of a fanny pack. I don't. Okay. Uh, you I mean, don't want to be a grown man wearing them. Sorry. I'm sorry to cut you off. I was just saying you don't want to be a grown adult. I said a grown man, but actually, I'm not trying to knock on anyone, but it looks silly. Uh, look. Well, it, yeah. Let's it's just a fashion thing. We're all heading out to uh, Disney, Florida in June, <laughs> and my mother-in-law has bought us all fanny packs. Oh and no! Mine has accidentally found its way into the bin because I will not wear one. No, I would not, not. I would not make fun of you if you wore. You bit. You beat my ass. <laughs> <laughs> no, Baba, you would never. No, not in a million years. You couldn't. No, you couldn't pay me to wear one. No, because they just. Oh no, no. You've got a jacket with pockets. What else do you need? If you need a bag, get a backpack or a you know a messenger bag, a fanny pack. No, no. <laughs> so I wanted to actually uh, talk about something we didn't fully discuss reviews about uh reaching out or reaching back rather um i I realized what i wanted to say earlier is uh i've done that and i 
kind of felt bad asking people because I feel like that's frowned upon. But at the same time, I made it clear. I'm like, I, I can't gauge this. I don't know if I'm helping you. I don't know if I'm helping with sales, if anyone's seen it. Like, I can see the numbers on my website, but I I don't totally trust it. Um, have you ever reached out to anyone or has anyone reached out to you that you've reviewed? I've never reached out to anyone, but there's been like Graham Reynolds. There's been quite a few over the years who've sent me an email saying, well, thanks for that review. I've, you know, there's been a big jump in sales since that review's gone out. Of, um, but no, I, I just, I don't like communication, if you know what I mean. It sounds stupid, <laughs> but the thought of having to send out another email asking, how did that go? If you notice anything, I just think, no, it's fine, you know. If it hasn't worked and they've got a problem with with it, then you know what? It's it's, it's not my problem. I've done my side of the job. Back it is, and it's not reviews. Reviews work when you get the audience for your reviews, and you can see the sites that that there's, you know, there's a lot of fantasy sites that that I'll sort of jump on every now and then, and the reviews are almost generic templates with a basic sort of description you know from the back cover synopsis with a line at the end you know this book was brilliant i really enjoyed it and those reviews don't sell a thing because people know that you know you've put no effort into it and yeah. you know quality sells and that's that's the thing it's the one thing i think we do really well is is we focus on the quality of the review we try not to be I mean, there's, you know, the stock phrases I hate, and yet I, I'm, I'm guilty myself of using stock phrases, and I hate it. There's a company over here called Marks and Spencers that sells clothes and food, and their advert was, you know, this isn't just a chocolate tort, this is a Marks and Spencers chocolate tort. And I went through what I call my Marks and Spencers phrase, where I, I was saying things like, you know, this isn't just a horror story, this is a super horror story, and I thought, Jesus, Jim, stop it. <laughs> uh, but you. <laughs> I think I think authors know which sites work for them in terms of the audience for the site and the, if, if it matches with, with their books and their style of writing. And they also know which sites really do put the effort into doing reviews rather than just churning them out left, right and centre. I can think of a you know, bunch. I, sorry? I can think of a bunch off the top of my head. You've already listed yeah. a lot earlier. Because, you know, it's just I've always struggled with how much content to put out every single day. Mm. I used to do three, maybe four, and then I thought, thought it's, it's, I think that does a disservice to both the people who've written the reviews and the authors for who the reviews are for, mm. because there's only so much someone can read in a day, yeah. you know, and if you're churn, constantly churning out stuff, you always find that one article really takes off and the others just sit there flagging back and, you know, get no hits, no nothing. Yeah. So I think it's it's unfair. So I've gone down to two. I did try a couple of weeks of just doing one article a day, but moving it to seven days a week. But then the backlog of stuff just becomes impossible to ever clear. So I think I think two a day. I think that's that's the for, for certainly for me. I think that's the sweet spot. And it's only occasionally like um, last week I had a cover reveal to do, but I was waiting on Amazon getting rid of the old version of the book from Cheesine, which I don't really think I, I could probably talk about Cheesine for the next 24 hours at least. 
oh, yeah. waiting for cheesing to remove that their their version of that book before the new publisher could get their book up. Good luck. And it, <laughs> and it, it came. I think I think it went live about five o'clock at night, and I thought, mm. right, let's just get this out. And you're even posting an article at five o'clock at night over here, which historically for me is just basically you're, you're throwing it out into the wilderness. <laughs> it took it took right off, you know, within you know before the end of the day, had over a hundred shares on on Facebook. So yeah, it's it's about finding your audience and finding the audience who like your reviews, and you'll only get that if you put out good quality stuff all the time and you don't saturate your own market with your stuff because people will get get bored very quickly right uh, those are good points um kind of along that topic uh so recently and i know you get this i'm, I'm sure all the other reviewers i know publishers and editors get this um I go to my mailbox multiple times a day uh, for the Deadhead account, and uh, we—I've had a godsend to send to me. One's L Turpit, uh, Tur- fucked up her name probably, and Ellen Avigliano probably messed her last name up too. Uh, they've been helping me run the site, and long story short, we now have a forum or a form to set up. Yeah, uh, all set up where. You have to read it and fill it out. Uh, I still get, I still get spams, and it's it's funny. the The spams I've gotten in my um, folder have been specifically from PRs for films, and they're sending me this huge long thing like I should be impressed, and uh, I don't get it. I've replied to both, and I just said like, hey, I was nice. I just said we have guidelines for you to follow. No reply. What's the best way to approach reviewers uh, as well as editors or, or really anyone that you want to help uh, have help promote your book? The way I look at it in terms of, of trying to find an avenue for either your work getting published or your work getting um, promoted. Yeah. There's no difference between us and publishers. Right. And every publisher, if it has, you know, if they're publishers, they're certainly with, uh, you know, open calls, you know, 365 days a year, will have a page on their website that has submission guidelines. And the, you know, the big five that maybe only have, you know, a couple of weeks a year where they have open submissions, they'll put that submission out and the guidelines for that submission will be on all the social media uh, articles that they produce. And if you don't follow the submission guidelines for a publisher, they will throw it in the bin. It doesn't matter how good that book is. They 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 think, no, screw this, because if you can't read a simple, what, 10, 12-line set of guidelines, then you're, you're showing them an utter... The way I look at it, you're sticking two fingers up at me, and, and I don't like getting fingers <laughs> stick up at me. My daughter does it to me all the time, but that's different. You know, that's our little sort of father-daughter <laughs> joke that we've had for years, but no, you you follow, and I have I have the uh, I'm sure you know I have the review policy on the site. Yeah, no, I've read it. It's it's pretty straightforward. Yeah, and what I do is I've got I've spent years trying to find the perfect email client, and I think I've finally found it. Yeah, and I can have um, basically standardized responses that I just click a button and it sticks in, and I've got a standardized response for 
all review submissions and it has again the guidelines on it everything on it how you how i want it set out the stylistic guidelines because i mean the thing is i've not even got that many stylistic guidelines all i all i hate is i hate indents i like a nice clean i like everything to be clean i hate indents indents to me are just messy it does my weird head in and i get really angry because <laughs> having to take indents out because nobody ever uses a tab it's always bloody spaces so it's not just a simple case of a single delete for each each indent that's there and drives me there's this reviews and um not reviews interviews and features that have been sent and i've just i've deleted them because i've just lost the plot trying to f- format them into a simple bit mm. and book titles have to be in italics with only the, the sort of keywords capitalized you know so like you know the like kingdom of spiders off would, would not be capitalized but it would all be in italics and that's that's come from Spending God knows how many years working as a and getting a degree and working as a veterinary virologist, where every single reference had to be specifically like that. So you know, well or not, it's the correct way that you reference books and literature and all that. I, I don't care. It's the way I want it, and that's basically the only two guidelines that I've got. And when right. people can't follow two guidelines, it drives me crazy. Because when I look at the you know the back end of the website that's got all the form for articles that needed need formatting or just waiting to be published, and I see how much is sitting there, and then I'm faced with this article that is going to require me. You know, a, and it doesn't sound like a lot, but half an hour just to get it to the basic template that I need it to before I can upload it to the site, and then you know put all the graphics in and the links and everything. And I think, fuck yes, I don't need it, and you know. I, I don't care who you are, even if Stephen King sent in an article and if it wasn't formatted right, I'd be like, fuck you, no, fuck it, no, no. And so now when it comes to review requests, I mean, you've seen it, it's basically what title, off the top of my head, title, publisher, um, is it a short story, novella, film, or blah, blah, blah. And if you've got an Amazon link, send me the Amazon link so I can, you know, you know, they say don't judge a book by a cover, but I bloody well do judge a book by a cover. So I would Everyone like to see does. <laughs> the cover of the book because, you know, if if you're sending a book out to reviewers with a cover that looks like someone's taken your four-year-old daughter, strapped their hands up in a pair of boxing gloves, put a blindfold on her, got her drunk and said, there, go and draw a cover for me. And you think that's good enough to send out. <laughs> to me, that sings warning bells about what you think you're writing. Yeah. So... If you can't follow that, I just it's an automatic delete now. And you know the weird thing that I have found over the years, it's the people who you class as friends or certainly you know really close acquaintances. People like like Phil Sloman, he's a prime example. I have told him numerous times when he has a new book out, either just email me a copy with Hey Jim, here's my new book, or stick it in the post and with a wee little cover note because we have a working and a personal relationship that goes past that. Yeah, I'm right there no, with you. He, he's the one that sends out the fully correctly formatted out submission form with, <laughs> you know, a very polite opening paragraph. And But it's the people who don't know you just go, oh, fuck it, there's my book, go and review it. <laughs> and I'm like, I mean, I've, I don't know about you, but I've even had emails where people say, here's a link to buy my book to review. Yeah. No, I've and actually got that. What the fuck do you think I am? Yeah. Which the, the weird thing is, every book that I personally review, I buy a copy. Because oh, wow. when I cross post stuff over to Amazon, it shows up as a verified purchase, which helps with, you know, 
how Amazon every now and then try and delete reviews if they think there's any sort of shenanigans going on. I think a verified purchase gives it a little bit of a, doesn't save it from being deleted, but it gives it, you know, an extra barrier before they'll, they'll take it down. And it's, I've also got this weird, crazy thing in my head. I just, I don't like being beholden to anybody. Mm. And yeah, I know I've done you a favour by reviewing your book, but you've still given me some. I don't like getting anything for free. Yeah, no, I hear you. I just, I just, it doesn't feel right because it's, it goes against everything about why I set the site up. So I, every, yeah, I mean, I've got like Titan send me basically every sort of horror or dark fantasy book that they publish, but I've always, I've got two copies of every Titan book <laughs> that they've ever sent me. That's awesome. Because I've gone and purchased a copy, and I don't even just buy a. But I mean, I should be should be clever and maybe just buy you know the cheap um, ebook version of it, but I never <laughs> do. And then I wonder why, I, you know, we need to move house because there's no actual wall space left for any more bootcases anywhere <laughs> in the house. But, you know, I'm just a bit simple when it comes to things like that. I can't figure <laughs> these things out. So, but no, if, if you don't follow guidelines, if it, you, you, you're you doing the reviewer, publisher, you're doing them a massive disservice. And I say, fuck you, just delete it. Fuck it. It's, you're yeah, just not... Yeah. If, you know, we 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 don't ask for much, and publishers don't ask for much. No. So basically, um, it's follow the guidelines. Just read yeah, it. Follow the guidelines. If you can't follow the guidelines, fuck off and take up painting <laughs> or something. The way I see it is, if you can't even read that, why the fuck am I gonna read your book? That's like average yeah. book is eighty thousand words. What? Why am I gonna read what you sent me? Uh huh. And the the weird thing is, I think you're going through the same stage I went through. When we started doing film reviews, you go through the um, the companies where if you can find a decent film to review, then you know maybe someone's pasted in the wrong link. I would I don't really want to say the name of the company, but um, if you're a fan of champagne, I think you might know who I mean. <laughs> uh, Every single I film might. is. Sorry, I said I might. I, I just I'm not yeah. Gonna... Uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> Yeah, and it's like, oh my god, no! But then you know, because I, I think it's like it's like doing your sort of rookie years, you know, you know, earning your position in the film reviewing sort of world. I think everybody has to go through that. Okay, we'll deal with them, and then you slowly start getting decent films. I mean, it's only been in the last two months or so. It looks as though we've got a quite a nice relationship with um, Shudder. Oh no! And then suddenly again, you know that that changes. You actually get the personalised email from the the publicist or you know the the person who's in charge of that film. That's amazing. Suddenly that changes from being you know this massive long just send it out to everybody to to an actual personalised hey you know hey Jim you know the new film's up would you fancy giving it a review and it's like you know you don't mind that because you've then you formed that relationship with that publicist if you know what I mean like like Lydia from Titan you know. Uh, I know of her. I, I don't think she knows who I am, but uh, I, I've seen her talk to people on social media. She seems like a nice person. She's she's absolutely amazing. You know, I mean, she invited me out to dinner when at FCON in Glasgow last no year. No kidding. There's me, all the you know her publicist team, and then every single Titan author there. So I mean, there's me out for lunch with um, Tim Lebon, Mark Morris, uh, Paul Tremblay. You know, it's like I'm sitting oh, here going. Oh, oh. Do you feel like I'm fucking? I've just walked in off the street and just sat down without any. I, I, all right, yeah, I'm just going to sit here. I'm gonna. That, that was amazing, and she's because again, but that's that's taken a good few years to build up that relationship. I mean, like, throughout the whole convention, she was desperate to buy me a drink, but it's one of these things where I always had a drink. 
<laughs> you know, I need to buy a drink for everything that you've done with me. Let me buy you a drink. I've got one. Well, I've got two because I've got two hands, and you know, oh, you I don't said really it drink. Yep. But yep, yep. when I go to things like Fcon, I, 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 yeah, I drink. <laughs> Good to know. Um, <laughs> yeah, I think I lucked out with the first film I actually reviewed because it's. I don't know if you've heard of it. It's called a uh, Green Light. Um, and it stars uh, Chase Williamson, who is uh, his probably mo- best well-known movies. Uh, John dies at the air, and he plays this guy named Dave. Uh, he's if you look him up on IMDb, he's got a really long uh, resume. He's worked with in John dies at the end. He works with uh, Paul Giamatti, so that's pretty awesome. Um, and I think the director for that, don't quote me. I'm pretty sure it's the same director that did Bubba Hotep. I maybe. Yeah. I may be off on that one, but um, same and a few other guys, but uh, I liked it. Um, I, I talked with a few of the actors. They were nice. I don't know if anything else has got to come out of it, but I, I guess I lucked out. And I've talked with a few other filmmakers, but nothing's come of it yet. So I'm glad I dodged that bullet that you dodged earlier on. Yeah, uh, I mean, it's it's... I think films are harder than books to, to sort of, you know, sift through the dregs. Yeah. Because it's, uh, you, you can, you can, you know, you can, you can look at a book and you can tell within the first page, two pages, whether or not if you're going to like it. For sure. Anyway, you can tell if it's well written, or well or not, even if the style of the book's going to appeal to you. But with films, it's hard. One, one, one sort of trick I've come up with in the last couple of months is when you look at the trailer, and if the trailer isn't a trailer, it's just a little scene from the film. Yeah. You know, right, okay, no chance. No, no, they can't even afford to then recut the film into a trailer. This is going to be shocking. And I think for me, it's got a 90% hit rate of being absolutely correct. I know. It was one morning I was just, I was bored. I was up at one o'clock in the morning. There was, I had nothing left to watch, you know, on TV that I'd ever recorded. So I thought, I'm going to go through Amazon Prime and. You know, right, watch the trailer. Okay, that's not a trailer. That's just a scene from the film. I'll give it a, okay, 15 minutes later. Nope, that's off. And I think I must have gone, went through about 10 films that morning. Wow. And every single film had one of those tra- trailers, which weren't trailers. And they were fucking shocking. Because it's so much, it's easy, you know, these days with mobile phones that have got, you know, 4K cameras on them. Any idiot yeah. can go and make a film now. Yeah. And it sounds disparaging from me you know considering what i do but this concept of everyone has a book in them and or everyone is a it's utter fucking shit because i have no 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 doubt in my mind that i could never write a book and it's people you know it's not about oh you know you you learn it's crafting your skills it's not it's not that you you can either you either have the the sort of seed of ability to do it that you can then grow or polish and you know turn from a turd into an actual diamond but there are people who just don't you know that's why not everyone in the world in the world is a first class football player this nonsense about what is it a thousand hours or ten thousand hours and you become great absolute bollocks yeah i put about ten thousand more than ten thousand hours typing and i still type like a one-fingered sloth <laughs> you know you you either have the skills to do something that are inherently there and they just need pushed out to the surface or you don't, you know, I still can't draw. You, you asked me to draw a straight line without a ruler and no, it's like a plate of spaghetti. It's 
you either it has to be there or it doesn't. But people don't understand that, and you can't say that because it's all we've. I don't know what it's like in America, but over here, you know, it, you only ever got a medal if you won something. You know, like school sports day. Now it's all about everybody gets a medal because everybody took part. It's like no. No, my son's way better than your son. He should get the medal. You're he, no, he doesn't deserve one. He beat him by twenty seconds in that, you know, that race. Fuck off. No. No, he deserves to win a medal, not everybody. But if I say that, I generally get shot down by a lot of people because they just think I'm some old fashioned dinosaur. But no, no. And films is just terrible because everybody seems to want to make a horror film. We reviewed yeah. <laughs> oh God. What was it? It was Clownado a few months back. <laughs> Clownado. Yeah. Now the thing is, I actually enjoy the Sharknado films because I, I, you know what they are, and you know there's not an iota of seriousness about them. They're they're deliberately done to be shite, and you know you get you can watch a shite film that knows it's shite because it plays upon the shiteness and it makes fun of itself, and all those films do. I wrote a review of, I can't even remember which one of the Sharknado films it was. It was the one at the end where the Sydney, and you know, this is major spoiler here if people haven't seen it, the Sydney Opera House suddenly, all, you know, the arches on it, they're flo- become floating laser defence turrets. So, you know, a major spoiler, but it's, you know, it's so bad, you, you, you're laughing. And it sounds silly. <laughs> it's fucking <laughs> terrible, but you're watching it with a smile on your face and a beer in your hand. It, it's It's worth it. The director of the film actually contacted me on social media and actually thanked me because he says of every single review he'd ever read, I was the only one who actually got exactly why he's doing these films. And I was, I was saying, this film is utter shit, but I'll watch it again because I had so much fun watching it. <laughs> but Clownado was just shit. Okay, it yeah, was one of those. And, and one of those I, sci-fi I, I, movies. Oh, I don't even think it would be shown on the Sci-Fi Channel. <laughs> it would be shown on one of those weird free apps that you get on Amazon Prime. That the you know, oh, Joe, oh God, and I don't even know if it was a director or the actor. It might have even been the actor, stroke director, stroke. I think it was one of those films where you know he did everything. Yeah. He contacted me on social media, and he seemed really upset and hurt that we just didn't get his film. He says, "Well, lots of people liked it," and so well doesn't mean anything you know it's like um god i just watched an episode of gordon ramsay's kitchen nightmares where the chefs keep on saying there's never anything wrong with my food because nobody ever complains but that's because everyone in the restaurant would just throw the plates that were con- taken back straight in the bin without telling her because if they told her she would have a meltdown and shut the restaurant for the night and i think well maybe that's happened with you you know maybe it's your friends and family who don't want to see you know their friend in the corner crying their eyes out because they said your film is and it was utter shit yeah. our reviewers got through the whole film i got into 10 minutes and was actually <laughs> angry at myself that i even because i'd already read their review but i thought i'm going to watch this film and i thought fuck i've wasted 10 minutes of my life for this shite but and i was angry and when i get angry at myself it's i, I need to just disappear from everybody wow yeah <laughs> no it's understandable and it is like that over here I can't speak to what percentage is uh, like where everyone gets a medal. Uh, I can't speak about being a parent of a kid that is a competitor because my son's not even three months old yet. But um, that's kind of – it raises a good point because I, I saw this discussion probably a month ago. They talked about it on the Yankees podcast too in one episode. Um, uh, the episode with Brian Kirk, they talk about uh, – Kind of, a, it, sounds, it seems like a recycled discussion 
where I feel strongly about one way. Uh, I lean towards what you think about this, where um, if you it, it's not it's not even about the money. Like, I get that you don't have money. Uh, not everyone has money to to pay for, like, I don't know, the, the greatest cover. But I know guys like Keelan Patrick Burke or Todd Keeslin or Don Noble. Um, there's so many more. Like, I, I've worked with Don for a sketch, and me and him talked about price, and I'm sure that a lot of them are flexible. So for someone saying it's like – because I've gotten ripped apart where someone was accusing me of saying uh, – that they had to not buy their groceries to pay a good editor and do a good cover. Um, I didn't even bother correcting them because it was like a group of angry people. So I, I just I, I'm not going to get into that, like with strangers, especially. But it's my strong opinion that you have to pay for a good cover if you're going to be a self-published author and you have to pay for a competent, good editor. Otherwise, why are you doing this? Is it just a hobby? If it is, that's fine. Or are you trying to actually get a readership? And that's my goal as an author. I'm not an author yet, but as a writer. Um, So just to kind of piggyback on your point, um, I don't think anyone can be an author it takes a lot of time and effort. I'm seven years in and I'm just finding my writing voice. Yeah. Uh, I, I, you gotta, you gotta really want to do it. Like I'm not planning on this ever being a career. I just want to publish some books. And if it turns into that, it turns into that. I just, uh, it, it's not for everyone. Just like, uh, being a musician or a doctor isn't for everyone. Yeah. Uh, even just, I mean, I blame Amazon. It's all Amazon's fault because, you know, they've allowed everybody to, to write a book and literally it up because it, it costs nothing and no time to stick. Sometimes you're probably better putting their, you know, their shopping list up on Amazon rather than the book that they think they've read. And it is, you have to. And I also think if you're then having to make the decision, if you're buying groceries for the week or you're paying for an editor, maybe you shouldn't be writing at this point in your life, you know, put the book, you know, write the book, put it on hold. Cause you know, unless you're writing specifically for a fad, a book doesn't have a shelf life, no pun intended. (laughs) So put the book aside and then, you know, put a tenner away, 50 quid, you know, a a month away until you've got the money to do that book justice. But it's this, again, you know, it ties in with this. Everybody's a winner. Nobody's got any patience anymore. It's this whole concept of, you know, like X Factor and what is it? America's Got Talent and all these, you know, real reality shows like um, over here, we've got Love Island. It's, it's this instant fame where you go from nobody to being, a, you know, a short-lived superstar in, in the public's eyes with, with the barest of effort and in, 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 in work. And it's, everyone seems to think, right, I can write a book, boom, I'm now suddenly going to become a well-known author and, and they don't right. understand that it's not just the writing it's it's everything else it takes time you've got to you've got to let it mature you've got to do if you don't show that you think your book is worth the effort to put it into a, a book that deserves to be published then nobody else is so yeah if, if you're if you're paying for gross if you're making that decision just set it aside until you can take that book further 
I mean, don't don't worry. Every single book I, I've had arguments with people for years over this. I don't think there's ever been a single book published that doesn't have a title because it's, you know, what even a short novel is what thirty thousand words. God knows how many punctuation marks are in that book. It's it's impossible. No matter how many times you read over something, you you're always going to miss something. Yeah, for sure. The, even, you know, the big five publisher books, there, there are typos galore. Maybe years ago when they could afford to have, you know, three or four copy editors and line editors going over it. But these days, so typos are just... They're going to happen. They're, yeah, they're, they're a part and parcel of reading a book. But I remember there was an author got really upset with another offer because they were, you know, this other offer was, was lauded as being fantastic. And I think in the first page of their book, there was something like 15 typos. <laughs> now that, that's, that's lazy. That's, that's not just, you know, them slipping through the net through <laughs> human nature and, and just the nature of the book. That's just pure, utter laziness. And all right, I think the way he handled it was wrong, but I could understand his frustration. You know, when you see someone else being lauded as being utterly amazing, and yet the first page is almost unreadable. Mm. And uh, yeah, okay, I, I get I get your point, but maybe you should have handled it slightly better. But I, I get it. I mean, uh, handled it better coming from someone like me who's had <laughs> more explosions and you know verbal fistfights online than probably anyone in the history of of reviewing. But <laughs> you know, it's just yeah. Aha. Uh-huh. So no, no, there's no such thing as yeah. No such thing as everyone's a writer. You you need you need you need to believe in yourself, and you need to believe in your work, and you need to give your work the attention. And the thing is, good editors and good cover designers aren't that expensive. Right. There's a publisher going about. They call themselves a publisher, Calumet or Calumet, however you pronounce it. Really and they want to do this <laughs> like 50 percent share, so they put in the Ooh. same amount of money as you put into the book, and they are. Um, no way. Example that they use is eleven grand. That's twenty-two grand <laughs> put into this book. That's a vanity. Use the offer. Do not get a single penny until it's gone into profit. So you have to sell twenty-two grand, twenty-two grand worth of books before you see a single cent back. But you'll only get half a cent if you sell twenty-two thousand dollars and a cent worth of books. You'll only get half a cent back for an eleven grand. Deposit. It's like that's not publishing. No, that, that's they're a claiming you know it's also it's like five grand for a cover, five grand for oh. for a for an editor. It's like, is it? and the thing is, I went and asked quite a few publishers who use you know really well known and well respected cover artists, okay. and they all you know they choked down their coffee when when they heard how much these people were claiming <laughs> you had to pay for a cover artist. And the thing is, when I found out how much these cover artists charge, I'm thinking. I could probably afford to get one of them to completely redesign the the logo for the website. Yeah, because you know it's not that expensive. Yeah, don't no. get me wrong; it's it's, it's a, an investment, but not to the degree that people assume that it, that it is. It's not in thousand. You know, even some of the biggest names are nowhere near. You know, in in the, in the you know the one two what four four yeah four figure value. Uh, you know, there's a big, well-known UK one who's, 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 yeah, I could probably, probably afford to do it with the money that's sort of left, um, you know, scraping around at the the bottom of my pocket. I save it up for a couple of months, and I could probably afford to do him. And he's done a fantastic offer. His covers are amazing. Is he the one that did your lo- new logo? No, that's Chris Barnes who does brutal posters. He's 
he does a lot of posters for yeah, yeah. um yeah you told me okay like arrow video and all that and it was just one of these things i i contacted him on twitter because you know we've had, we've known each other for years and uh my, my email was right how much would it be this this you know i've got this my old logo here i want it to look a hell of a lot better i says kind of like and i sent him the, i don't know if you know the band the wild hearts no they've got a logo off a sort of almost like a sort of pumpkin type thing with um like uh the cross crossbones thingy from pirates sort of at the back of them and it's like cartoony and and like i says you know this this sort of idea i want is like sort of 3d ishy rather than a flat sort of plain graphic image and it says but let me know exactly how much that's going to cost because you know you know this is you know and he came by and says no 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 i'm not i can't i can't i can't charge you for this i went no no you have to <laughs> are you absolutely sure because he says no he says you've been promoting my stuff for years you know how about you put an you know an, an advert for me on your website so you know we came to that that thingy but i know for a fact it wouldn't you know i would have been able to say right that's fine you know i wouldn't have went had to do the old uh there's the old Billy Connolly sketch where he goes to buy a, car, a a rug and he goes, how much is that rug? And he goes, ah, fucking hell. You know, I could feel the hairs coming out of my vest and I'm going to fucking back away like before I hit him because of the sheer shock of how much a fucking rug cost. And I've always got that thing. I, I hate being embarrassed saying, okay, right, I can't afford that. Right. Because then your worst worry is someone, they'll come back and say, okay, well, how about this? And, and I, I don't like that. But yeah, I sort of had a battle to and fro with chris for him to take any money from me but we came to a mutual decision okay that's that's fine which is great because you know it shows that people respect you as well if you know what i mean he would never have done that if he if he didn't feel that what i've done for him over the years in terms of sharing his tweets and featuring him and and not not actually had any impact on him you know which which is nice but still feels odd but it's i love it i I love it it's fantastic i couldn't have asked for a, a better design from from anybody i love it i love the logo too um i just wanted to touch on thick skin i think it's like really important to have in this business because i mean i I got loose lips too like i'll i'll just say and i don't mean it in a mean way but i'll I'll tell people i don't give a fuck like (laughs) just i don't care what most people think like with you i do you're my friend i care what my friends and and some of my family think, but for strangers, I don't, I don't give a fuck. And when you're writing, or if you're want to be an editor or anything else in the business, I think that's really important. Otherwise, you're gonna let a lot of things bother you. And when it comes down to it, uh, like how you have your own view, and I have mine on what it takes to be an author. Um, people te- seem to take that the wrong way and use it, uh, take it as a personal attack. Like you're you're insulting them when you're trying to just give positive feedback or constructive criticism. Yeah. It's just interesting. As soon as I made that that comment about, you know, you have to make a decision whether you want want to be a writer or put food on your table, I thought I shouldn't have said that because I was going to get so many people going to take that the wrong way. I said, I, hey, I backed it up for a reason because I feel the same way. So if anyone has a problem you know, with that, like, get some thick fucking skin. That's fine. It, it took me years to get a thick skin. You know, it used to be any little affront to me. The smallest affront was, you know, like them basically spitting in my face and I would get really angry and, you know, like, I'm going for you. But, you know, <laughs> it does, it takes it because it is, it, it doesn't initially, you know, it feel like a person, but then it, you, you've got to realize it's not a personal attack. It's, no. Unless it's coming from a place of sheer hatred and sheer just 
dickishness, any sort of criticism of a writer is coming from a, a not a place of love as such, but you know, you you want to, you don't want a writer to fail. No, you know, you, you want them, and if you can help them in a review or just even talking to them online, you know, you know, sometimes every now and again you get a writer puts like a paragraph up on Twitter or Facebook and asks for opinions and. Everyone says, oh, it's brilliant, it's brilliant. And you're sitting there going, it needs a bit of work here. But am I going to be the first one to say this? Because you know as soon as you're the first one to say it, everyone's going to pile on you. But you have to understand it. Yeah, it comes from a place of goodness, maybe not a place of love, but it comes from, you know, your, your heart's in the right place. You want to help them. But it takes a while for people to realise that that's what you're doing. You're, you're not actually being a dickhead. You're actually trying to help them out. Yeah. And I have I've lost friends over over not friends, but I've certainly you know lost you know Facebook friends and and connections on social media because people don't understand that and they think I'm just an arsehole. I mean, there's lots of people who think I'm an arsehole, and yeah, I can be an arsehole, but you know what? I'm me, and I ain't going to change. <laughs> yeah, no, I hear you. And for those people, like I don't know if anyone listens to this episode and I view someone as a writer friend, and they're like, you know what? Fuck you for that. Uh, okay <laughs> well i guess like i'm just saying how i feel and i've heard this echoed by successful authors and editors and publishers and i'm not parroting them i just from my own experience i've had so many rejections like everyone else and it sucked at first and now i'm just like okay what can i improve like it's just about being a better uh artist basically i guess uh-huh. I mean, everyone's had rejections. Everyone from Stephen King right down to little Jimmy, who's just published his first novella yesterday, has had a, a slew of reviews from one star to five star. And people who get caught up on this whole... I, I, I hated, hated putting stars and ratings on the reviews. And I tried it as a an experiment to see if it helped getting the stuff shared and if more eyes on it. And it does seem to work, which which annoys me, because people a lot of people will just scroll past to the end to see what the review rating is. No kidding. Rather than actually reading the review. And I'm I think I've gone to this stage where I'm at this sort of halfway house where half of them have, have it and half of them don't. And I can't yeah. quite decide which way I'm gonna go. I think, I think I'm gonna go back to just getting rid of them. I would much rather rather than a star rating, I think I think like a a, B, C, D, E was better because people don't, the number of authors, I mean, I got an author who, who who sent me an email getting really upset and saying, I'm really sorry you hated the book for a three-star review. A three-star yeah. review is a fucking positive review. Yeah, it is. It's 60%. So 60% of the book worked and 40% of the book didn't. It's still a fucking positive review. People forget it's that. Like people, people don't understand what average means. People think average is an insult. No, average yeah. is average. <laughs> yeah. You know? Fifty percent of the world is average, mate. It's not a fucking insult. So fucking complaining about a three-star fucking review, I felt like, and it, the, the email was such a pity party that I actually felt, you know what, I'm going to fucking knock it down to two stars. But then that would be childish on my part. <laughs> fucking, you know, it's just like, make it one star. I, mean, I had a fucking fuck, actually thinking about it. Jesus Christ, I had a fucking author complaining about a four-star review. Oh my god. That's bad. And I, and I actually did. I went back and went, fuck it, it's three star now. Fuck you. <laughs> fuck you. Fuck. If you're going to complain about a fucking four star review, 80 fucking percent 
I mean, that's the thing with the stars. There's not enough leverage because I hate this thing about, you know, and the thing is, I do it myself and I hate it. A three and a three and a half star. You know, what what, what the fuck's half a star? I don't know. You know, it's nobody knows, but everybody does it. And it, it's stupid. I <laughs> either have to go to a numerical system. You yeah, know, like, the half stars. I don't know. I don't know how you do it in America with like school grades. But over here, we've got like A plus. B, C, D, E, F, and I, everything up to sort of C or a C minus is, is, is good. You know, A plus is the best that you can get. Or I think, I think even they may even have like A double star, you know, like fucking Animal House, you know, they're not just on detention, they're on super secret detention and shit like that. You know? <laughs> yeah. But, uh, I no, think that allows system. more flexibility in the interpretation of the book than, than a star rating. Cause it's not numerical, if you know what I mean. It's more, you know, it's an A-star a book. I know SFX, the magazine, used to give it letter ratings rather than star ratings. And I did prefer it because, you know, if you get an A, a review, a B review, you know, it's a B-plus. Yeah. It's still, the way that's a good review. But as soon as a B-plus would probably be equivalent of a four-star review or a C-plus, say, a three-star, and, three and they'll go, oh, C-plus is still, you know, it's still a good book. You know, I, I, I liken <laughs> it to food, which well, sounds funny, you know. Yeah, a three-star uh, a three-star review to me is like a Big Mac meal. It's it's not it's not brilliant. It's not brilliant, but I actually enjoyed having it. It, it filled a hole. Yeah, it filled a space in my belly, and you know, the book filled a space <laughs> in my reading schedule. I enjoyed it. Yeah. I would go back for another one from you. It's not as oh fuck, I'm never going to have another McDonald's again. And I think if people look at it like that, then. Because it just it annoys me when you oh I've got a three star review whiny 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 shut the fuck up someone reviewed your book for a start off you should be glad because there's more freaking authors out there than there are reviewers I mean I don't know about you but I, there's no danger I think if every single one of my reviewers lived until they were five hundred years old and we reviewed a book every one of us at least one book a week we would we would never clear what's in the review forum that I've got not a chance. I, uh... There's more reviews come in than we can post out, <laughs> and you can even post out even if everyone was reviewing everything that came out. There's too much coming in to actually fill the time slot on the website without posting, you know, four or five reviews a day, which is just crazy. You can't keep that up. So you should be grateful that you're getting your book reviewed, and then to bitch about it not being a four and a half or five star review, just just fuck off. <laughs> yeah. and, it, and the thing is I've been accused so many times of being disrespectful and crushing the dreams of authors I'm not I'm just a, well, I'm a realist and I, I don't pander and I don't sugarcoat anything for anybody because you can't you know no. I said it right at the start and it just it drives me insane the number of people that get caught up on reviews and you remember, reviews aren't for the fucking author. They're for no. the potential reader. That's a good point. But you point. can't get that. No, that, You know, that's I had a, a really, really well-known UK author email me and demand that I changed the review because they didn't like the wording of the last two sentences of the review. <laughs> I did uh, reply to the email. I went and blocked them on all social media because I thought, fuck, and this is going to turn nasty if I start responding to this. And I'm thinking, and the thing is, it was a fucking five star review. Wow. Holy shit. You know, but they didn't like the way I worded it because it didn't feel quite right. And it's like, oh, no. Um, okay. So that brings another good point to the table. Um, being an 
being a writer myself, like I'm doing this for me. That's if I like it and I'm happy, like, yeah, when I get to the point where I'm going to reach an editor, I'm going to make lots of choices that I'm going to have to suck up. Like you are going to have to cut a lot to make it look better. Um, And at the end of the day, I'm still doing this for me. So why the fuck do I care if one person in the world or a couple don't like it? Who cares? Uh-huh. You're never going to please everybody. I can't even please everybody in the family at any one point in my life. So I don't want to please, you know, anybody else who doesn't know me, you know, thousands of people, hundreds of people, however many people, you know, read it. So yeah, you can't get caught up on that. You have you have the right right for your unless you're being specifically asked to write for a target audience. You know, maybe right. say you've been asked to do like a aliens film tie-in book, then you have to write for the voice that's inside you and the heart that's inside you. You cannot write for anybody else because by the time your book comes out, that if that trend, that fashion, you know, whatever was in vogue that month is gone. So yeah, you can't even yeah. write for that. You have, you have to write for the story that is inside you. And if you can't stay true to yourself, then then you're, you're doing it wrong. I, I may be wrong because I'm not a writer, so I, I can't really look into the head of, of a writer. But for me, I think that, that that's how you have to write. No, I mean, you, you know, I don't think you have to be a writer. You, you're, you're, your finger's on the pulse. So I think it's fair to say you, you got a good understanding. Um, I'm just going to throw this one. I think it's a trend. Uh, I'm not sure how anyone's going to take this, but I've seen, and I'm not hating on any of them because I haven't read them. I've been seeing like fictional books about Trump and, there might be some great books in there, but overall, it's a trend. He's a president. Even if he serves another four years, we're going to have another president we might like or might hate. And the way I see it, I'm a history guy, specifically American history. I'm not here to debate anyone on this, but there's there's been some pretty sh- <laughs> there's been some pretty questionable presidents, and um, yeah. Trump's just going to be another section, a little sliver of history. And I don't mean to make this a political discussion at all, but um, I just think that uh, it's funny to see what was popular five years ago. And if we wait long enough, we'll, we'll probably laugh at what's popular now. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. I mean, the one thing I will say about Trump and his presidency, and it's, it's pretty much mirrored over here. I think it's going to lead, if so long as you're not writing, you know, Trump fan fiction or Trump anti fan <laughs> fiction. But if you if you're using the political climate that has arisen through Trump and certainly over here with Brexit and the, you know the Tories and and because I mean I think I think the Tories are just like a failed clone of Trump in his politics. You know they want to be him, but you know someone forgot to add a couple of bits of DNA, so they're just this sort of <laughs> pasty white upper posh bastards who think you know fuck everyone else because it doesn't matter if the company goes down the toilet because we've got enough money from daddy's bank account to keep us going for as long as possible must be nice it reminds me a lot of the 70s certainly the 70s in the uk i'm not sure i suppose the 70s was probably the same in america because you had nam that was the 70s wasn't it um so vietnam was 55 to 75 america yeah i, I don't know when america got involved but i i was born in 89 so i can't tell you firsthand what the 70s was like <laughs> jesus christ 89 <laughs> that was, only, year I left I was only 31 fucking <laughs> <laughs> hell but yeah so yeah so certainly probably in the uk it was like from 76 to sort of 
1981, it was a real, the sort of political climate felt the same, you know, there was a lot of racism around, the the working classes here were, you know, under the thumb and under the hammer, and, you know, that it led to, like, the punk movement, and it yeah. led to a lot of great horror, in, in America, that was, you know, the period of really movement. brilliant, you know, the sort of the rise of splatterpunk and everything over there, I yeah. think it was tied in round about that same sort of period, you know, early 80s and whatnot, and I, I think that's going to happen, I think there's going to be a reaction from the artistic people in the world to the political climate but and i think that's fantastic because I, I love how it drives music and culture and, and and writing and everything but to actually start being very specific and it's one thing to lampoon you know lampoon him like what's his name is it john john oh who's that english guy that does that john oliver is it john oliver that yeah, was the, john oliver, was or something. Uh, the tv host yeah uh-huh yeah. You know, that's, that's fine, because that, you know, that's political satire of the week. And yeah. it will change, you know, as soon as Trump goes, or if he stays, you know, it'll change or it'll keep going. It it won't hark back to, let's keep having a go at Trump after he's out of office. Right. You know, it's, and that that's fine, but to then start just actually specifically writing fiction about politicians, I think it's like, oh, come on, it's just... Yeah, I, I, I sure as hell don't want to read it. I, I I read to escape. I don't want to read a fictional account of what is actually going on, you know, at the other side of the TV screen that I'm watching. Yeah. I'd like to see a reaction to it, but not an actual, you know, clearly this is a story about Trump getting killed by, I don't know, a zombie flipping uh, it's just a thing I can't even think of any other American politician right now because for some reason to me all your American politicians have names that either sound like they're sitcom characters or they should <laughs> be a superhero so you know some weird superhero group but your names don't they don't seem right to me for some reason I, I hey look I don't I can't name them because I, I personally I I don't give a fuck about politics I just only brought it up because it, it seems so prevalent in all media right now. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I know nothing. I mean, like this whole Brexit thing, I, I voted Remain because I didn't know enough about it and I thought, you know, I'm quite happy with the way things are going. I don't feel as long oppressed <laughs> by Europe, so Remain, you know, I, I could be wrong. I don't know. I mean, this is it. I have, I have no... But then again, I mean, my, my core belief is there's enough money and resources in the world that nobody has to go hungry. But it's, I agree. much of it is held by too few people. And you yeah. can't make the world a better place by splitting up. If we could all just shut the fuck up, put our differences aside, and just, you know what, actually work together. And it sounds, it sounds like a hippie Star Trek thing, but you know what, maybe Star Trek has got it right, you know? With this, everything that divides, divides people is stupid. I mean, it's a thing that, if I had the time and money, I would love to go back to university and do like a psychology degree based on tribalism. Because I, I do think, you know, there is a, a genetic tribalism to everybody but and it's only our upbringing and our sort of experience to the world around us that, that overcomes this latent sort of tribalism around us because you know when technically we're not that far away from from the days of being you know an animalistic you know caveman Pythicus, however you pronounce it you know oh and um, i do think i do think you're thinking the uh, the old uh thing based off of Sasquatch, yeah, Gigantopithecus, yeah, uh-huh. yeah. You know, yeah. I, I do, yeah, I do think, you know, 
we are inherently tribalistic and it's because yeah you know you know how how you know 50,000 years it's in the grand scheme of genetics it's not that big you know we're not that far removed from you know hunt little hunter gatherer tribes where you are that's your bit of land and you're you know you'll defend it to the death and then someone comes in who's slightly very slightly different you know they're slightly more you know in those days you know Different, slightly different colour of fur on their body, or you know, their their eyes had moved more to the the front, like how we were, rather than you know, you know how you, you know predator eyes and, and hunter gatherer eyes, the, you know, yeah. they, they move depending on what they are, you know, like hawk or a rabbit sort of thing. Well, they look slightly different. Let's go and kill them. They're trying to take our land and our food. <laughs> you know, they're probably not thinking that in terms of you know actually vocalising it and thinking it, but it's just the natural reaction. This is my, you know, all animals are territorial. Yes, and I don't think genetically we're that that far behind that. No, I, I don't it's only our so brain power and our upbringing that takes us away from that. So I, yeah, I just I hate this. I hate politics because politics is nothing but decisive, you know, divisive. And there's you can never come together in politics unless no. you're in you know, a sort of vacuum bubble of the same people of your same mind. You cannot have a good polite debate about politics. I, I hate it. I just completely stay away from it. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, I just like to kind of have a good time, and um, I try to do it as much as I can. And something else that I don't think is really thought of too much, but I kind of obsess over things like uh, I love history, I love space, uh, things to do with the cosmos, um, where <laughs> human beings are one uh, race within one planet – within one galaxy, one solar system of one galaxy. That's one of the smallest galaxies in the known universe. So we're really fighting it amongst ourselves and it makes no sense. And isn't that, isn't that within itself, like the biggest horror, which is why cosmic horror is kind of the most fascinating. I'm not trying to say other subgenres aren't as interesting, uh, but Cosmic Horror is probably the most forever the most interesting one for that reason because we don't know that much. We really don't. Yeah, and I, I think it speaks to this sort of innate sense of uh, of wonder that I think everybody has, and you know, because I remember when was it the Hale Bop comic was here? Yeah, uh, the Haley Haley comic. No, it wasn't Haley. It was Hale Bop or something. It wasn't the Haley's comic. It was some other one, and it okay. got really close. I th- actually, I'm, o- I'm actually old enough to remember Haley's comic as well. But this this was another <laughs> one, and I remember going up to the observatory in Edinburgh. There's a can't remember the name of the hill, Blackford Hill, um, with an old you know old film camera to try and take a picture of it, and just oh, staring up at it, the sense of Fucking, I'm nothing. I'm nobody. The set and the sense of wonder at looking at this thing, that think, fuck, that could just wipe us out. I, I get, and I get the same sense when I go to the beach and I see big waves. Just the vastness. It makes you realise just how insignificant. And I, I think cosmic horror latches onto that feeling that 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 we all bury because we none of none of everyone's got an ego, so none of us think that we're insignificant. Yeah. You know, unless you, you know, you, you've got serious um, mental issues. <laughs> you know, all of us, our, our ego, you know, our ego, for the majority of us, our ego is strong enough to think that we're the most fucking important person in the universe. Right. But then when you're faced with things like that and cosmic horror, you realize, shit, you know what? I, I'm nothing. I'm not even an, an ant in the grand scheme, scheme of the universe. I'm, I'm nothing. And I think, yeah, a cosmic horror, I think, will always have its place. And it's probably why it's, 
it's never shifted in terms of if it's stylistic tech content if you know what i mean it's not it's it's all you know cosmic horror straight away and it's got the same sort of themes and the same sort of style throughout history because i think it just latches onto that core sense of fear that everybody has cosmic horror is like uh the subject matter that it embodies meaning it's like a wave or it's like it's like space itself the universe itself whatever you want to call it it doesn't give a fuck about us we don't matter if we are alive or dead man it was just nothing compared to to the sheer force of mother nature never mind uh the nature of beyond yeah you know this is like vampires where you know (laughs) as long as you know which type of vampire you've got is it garlic is it silver will beheading do it you know (laughs) can it cross like that old uh, hammer one where they couldn't cross running water you know You, you, you you can at least try everything out you know quite shit and you've got a chance against it and you know and a chance against a zombie even a werewolf you know you just need a silver letter opener you know something like that but against cosmic horror you, you have no chance and it is yeah it's the you're fucked you know you may as well just you know what just just go and shoot yourself when you're faced against something or you know, cosmic horror entity because you ain't gonna win no, that's why I believe Lovecraft and uh, newer modern uh, authors like Mary San Giovanni are. Uh huh. They're, they're just timeless, and Lovecraft's proved that. I think Mary's work is going to prove that eventually. Um, it, it's just, it's like the whole fad thing. Like the the whole universe, I find it really hard to believe that we're ever going to understand that. To the point where we're gonna be like, okay, we can master it like we do with Earth. No, no way. I don't yeah. think so. And that's scary. That is. I can't even contemplate how scary that is. No, I mean, yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I don't think we've ever been visited by aliens because I think there's only two reasons reasons you make that ginormous leap is either to destroy and pillage the planet for every last bit of resource on it like um, Galacticus or you're here to make peace and spread the, your technology with us and neither of that's happened you know this this I, I had a friend who, who was convinced that every single technological advance you know like a mobile phone and all that was because the aliens and Roswell were finally giving up little bits of information it's like <laughs> he was also a flat earther but you know so that, <laughs> that oh, explains I have a all. strong opinion on that <laughs> Yeah, it says, how about I take you up on a plane and I throw you out? You'll soon see the curvature of the earth just before you hit the ground, mate, yeah? <laughs> um, so we're actually hitting uh, close to two hours, so I just wanted to cover... Yeah, we've been talking for a while now. Hopefully uh, we, we kept a few listeners, but um, I, I really would like to know before we end this uh, who you're currently reading, and uh, just put a pin mark in that real quick. Um as far as your intros go, earlier in this uh, episode, you mentioned that you're doing an intro for Kit. Um, I read an intro for Lex H. Jones's The Old One yeah. in the Sea. That I'm, I, I feel like uh, I, if Lex wasn't such a sweetheart just saying thank you every time, I would feel like I was annoying him. But that's literally one of my favorite books I've ever read. It's, it's amazing, yeah. Uh-huh. It, it deserves a place next to the Hobbit in the sense where it's meant for children, but it is enjoyable for everyone. Um, your intro along with his, the tone, the emotions were perfect. Not even as a father, just as a, as a reader who felt like a child. And that's, that's really what books 
those types of books are meant to do, I think. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it, for me, I had the same sort of feeling that I got when I first read um, Ray Bradbury's Halloween Tree. Okay. You know, it, it, it was a kid's book, but I got so much out of reading it. And it, it, Lex's book has the same sort of feeling. Yeah. It's a book that, I, that if my kids were young enough, it would be a book that, it would be one of those first books that they learn to read it on themselves. Cause I did that with all my kids, you know, we would, we would read the kiddie sort of picture books and then they would move on to proper textbooks, prose books. Mm. And I would read it to them first and then we would sit down and they would read a chapter or page back to me and we'd read it together. And I did that with both my kids with a Halloween tree. And if they were young enough, I, I know that's a book that, that we would have done exactly the same with because it's got that that much power and, and heart to it. Yeah, absolutely. That's well said. Um, so I just, uh, last thing I was curious about was um, what authors do you feel, uh, let's start with UK because you made a good point. Um, and like women in Hoth, um, thanks to a few friends that kind of pointed out that I kind of get a, make female authors more well-known to myself. I feel that UK authors should also have a wider audience. So let's start with UK horror authors or any genre, if you want. Who, who should, who would you um, recommend to definitely read and jump your to-be-read to pile? Jump to the top. Oh, well, I mean, let, let, let's start with who I sort of class as three of the best and I hate to say female authors because they, they stand shoulder to shoulder with any author who ever lived. You know, we've got Priya Sharma, Laura Mauro, and Georgina Bruce. You you can pick up anything that they've ever read, written and and you'll be absolutely blown away. They are just oh, it, they're they're exciting, they're exhilarating, they're going to take the genre. And even if they move out, because I know Georgina, you know. Did you do you listen to the This Is Horror podcast with Laura about how she doesn't even know which genre she sits in, and she's happy to be called a horror author, but she doesn't even know if she reads horror. Oh, so it I, doesn't matter where she goes; she, you know, those three are are, are just they, they are definitely must reads, and yeah, they're they're fantastic. Even like Penny Jones uh, for another female one. Um, I think is I'm terrible when when people ask me to list people, but like you know. <laughs> Phil Sloman, Justin Park, we've mentioned Kit, John McNee, he's another fantastic one. I, I mean, I'll try and keep it to the the sort of the smaller publisher end of the scale, but you know, you know, we've got we've got Tim Leban, Mark Morris, Adam Neville. Uh geez, yeah. Um, yeah, so I haven't heard that episode yet. I just started getting into This Is Horror Podcast because, like, like I said way earlier in the episode, I, I'm kind of catching up as of last year, even though I've been in it for, I don't know, five, five years now. Um, I'm really just – I started diving nose first once I – or to, in the deep end uh, once I became a reviewer. Um, and I haven't heard that episode yet, but I have read Naming the Bones by Laura. Uh, I uh-huh. I really enjoyed it. The ending, though, I, I if if a book isn't, and I'm not saying hers isn't, but if a book is so-so or just barely readable or, or whatever, however you want to word it, if they have a killer ending, that just makes my opinion jump. It, it wasn't the yeah. case. It wasn't the case with Laura's book. Like she she's a great writer, but that ended, man. You did you read that? 
Yeah, uh-huh, uh-huh, that was fantastic one. I, I was just uh, like, I, I'm pretty sure I said out loud, what the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I mean, like, for another author, I can't believe this is it. You, all, you always, oh, God, I can't believe I never mentioned him. If you want absolute, going back to this almost the Sharknado sort of uh, idea, Duncan Bradshaw, his two books, oh, Mr. Yeah. Stucky, about a possessed vacuum cleaner and <laughs> cannibal nuns from outer space. I think for Cannibal Nuns for Outer Space, I think my review said this book is utter bollocks, but it's the best dog's bollocks that I have ever read. I don't, I don't know if you have that expression in America, but the dog's bollocks is a UK expression for something that's absolutely brilliant. And it is. It was just, it's, it, there's, there's a whole chapter in it where there's this arsehole taxi driver who's recounting a story to his passenger. And the story is basically him retelling the, the plot to Predator. And you know that he's doing it, but you're sitting there absolutely pissing yourself with laughter at the stupidity of it. And you still want to finish this book. It's, it's, I've never finished a book and actually had the muscles in my face so sore from laughing and grinning. Oh. Uh, he, he, he's an author you really have to check out. It's like the Mr. Sucky book, he even published it as though it looked like a manual for a Hoover. Yeah, I saw it's like that. A, yeah, that's a hilarious. five size floppy with, you know, sort of the greyish paper that you get in these sort of manuals. <laughs> yeah. Uh, absolutely brilliant. Um, I actually, Duncan, I can't believe I forgot to mention him. He he was amongst one of the few that uh, I first met. It was, I don't know how it happened, but I, I was introduced to the UK writers first and, um, Duncan actually sent me to the those two books, the e-copy. I gotta I just being a reviewer now, man, I got so many fucking books. I <laughs> I gotta get to those two books. I gotta get to them soon, but it's so hard to read quick, especially when you're you got a family and a job and shit. Uh, yeah. Uh-huh. But for me, um I'm not saying one's better than the other, but the few that come to my mind right away, Rich Hawkins, I fell in love with yeah, this. Yeah, I'll see it there again. I fell, fell, him, yeah. fell in love with this trilogy, the the Last Plague trilogy. Like, holy shit, why is it this movie? Um, uh, who, who else? Andrew Freudenberg. God, yeah, again, yeah, see this. I, I hate when people ask me this question because I always, always miss people out. Yeah, and Freud's just such an amazingly wonderful guy. He's absolutely brilliant. He's such he's a great like guy. A big cuddly teddy bear. He's brilliant. Oh, he he looks. Him and you look like guys that you wouldn't want to fight with at a bar. But oh if you... God, no, 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 <laughs> no, no, no. He's he's like a care bear in a leather jacket. He's <laughs> probably kill me for saying that, but that's what I think of him. Yeah. You know, if you start talking to him, you realize real quick, this guy, he, he might be able to fuck me up. He, with me, he's good, <laughs> but, like, I want to be his friend and give him a hug. <laughs> um, and Lex H. Jones, uh, I I fell in love with that guy as an author, uh, reader, just based off of that one book. Sometimes it's all it takes for me. I want to read more of his books. Um, and then Laura... Am I going to fuck her last name up? Mauro? Is that how you say it? I, I pronounce it Laura Mauro. I feel like she's made a comment about this on one of her accounts. I just can't remember. Uh, if I if I fuck that name up, I apologize. But uh, something that I love that she does, I know she doesn't do this as a business. Um, she makes those little stuffies. One of yeah, you. It's, uh-huh. I've, I've got one of me. I, I think it. I was one of the first ones that she made, I think. It's great. And she made one of, uh, for those that don't know, um, in Lex H. Jones's yeah. 
It's about a young HP Lovecraft that becomes friends with Cthulhu. Uh, he calls him Ulu. Uh, there's two stuffies of uh, Howard Phillips and um, Ulu. And I asked Laura, I messaged her, I'm like, can you please make these for me? And she sent me pictures last week. She's like, they're done. And oh, that is just amazing. That's brilliant. See, that's water all over. Yeah. Uh-huh. I'm so excited. I'm going to put them on my writing desk. I got to rearrange it. But uh, Lars, just like everyone you mentioned that I know, they're, they're just such sweet people. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. I mean, I, I know nothing about the, the sense of community in America. I know there was one author said there's no such thing as the horror community, and I thought that's absolute bollocks because you you come to British Fantasy Con, and just just the sense of joy and happiness that everyone has when they see people that they haven't seen for years or, or even you know a couple of weeks. It's brilliant. Everybody knows everyone. There was a guy who had just made uh, Wayne Fenlon, I think was the second name. Just I'd made a connection with him on Twitter a couple of weeks before last year's um, Fantasy Con. And I says, because he was he was local to it, I says, come along, come along. And he, he was a bit nervous about thinking, but there's always someone there who will take a person that we haven't seen before, because it's, it's not that big a community. So everybody kind of knows everybody. They certainly know everybody's face. And there's always someone who will take a newcomer under their wing and make sure that they have a brilliant time and they get to meet the people that they want. You know, That's like great. Mark West, there's a joke in the British community, horror community about Mark West, because, you know, if you start talking to Mark West, you're never getting away because he knows everybody <laughs> and he'll introduce you to everybody. And he is, he's one of the nicest people you will ever meet. And for all the little fallouts and little disagreements that we have, when you go to places like this, you actually realise that, you know what, it, it's everything's just insignificant compared to the actual sense of family that, that that's there. It's that's brilliant. Awesome. I, I always come away so elated and so happy for these things that that I get the sort of post-con blues a couple of days later and, and it's like one of the hardest two, three days that I have in any given year because you know that you're not going to see these people again for at least a year or maybe even two years because, you know, it moves around the country so it's never in the same place and the UK is nothing like America for travelling. Do you, you know, we we talk about, oh, Christ, it's a 300-mile journey. You know, do you guys, that's that's nothing. But right. for us, that, that's, that's close to a day's worth of travelling because <laughs> the travel and infrastructure in here is just fucking terrible, even on the train and a plane. Oh, no. You know, like, like my friend Fiona, who came over from Ireland last week, she got onto the plane at the same time as I had to get on the bus to meet her in Edinburgh. And I live 12 miles away from Edinburgh. And I wanted to wait 20 minutes on her getting from the airport to, to where I was meeting her in the town centre. <laughs> you know, that is how bad it is. She Jeez. can fly from another country quicker than I can actually travel in the same uh, geographical region. That's insane. Um, hey, so we're actually hitting t- one hour and 58 minutes. Uh, that's <laughs> You know what? I think I love talking to you, man. Uh, I think I'm going to pretty much wrap it up here. Yeah. Uh, is there anything that you want to um, maybe let people know about? Keep in mind, <laughs> this isn't coming out until the end of May. So um, is there anything that you got planned that you can talk about that is going to be happening around that time? Uh, I've got two big projects on the go. I okay. mean, you, you know about, about one of them, the, the secret one-on-one club <laughs> that we haven't really uh, mentioned. And I'm not quite... I'd, like to keep it kind of under wraps, but let's just say, make sure when you when you start seeing the social media posts for this, uh, pay attention to it because it's yes. 
biggest undertaking I have ever done in 10 years. It's And surprisingly, it has gone so smoothly. I cannot believe it. It's for what I think is going to be the, the book of the decade. It's uh, utterly... There was like a sort of pre-launch at FCON last year where the author had um, five chat books that okay. are tying in with this project and he, and he oh, talked wow. about the whole project and everybody at the launch started off went okay okay that sounds a bit uh. and then <laughs> by the end of it by he explained everything about the whole concept behind the story and the whole concept of the book and the actual mechanics of the book everyone just sat there and we're going oh my wow this is just <laughs> fuckingly mentally insane but I need to get this book because I, this is just fucking sounds like the best thing ever. And I think it will be. And I mean, I, I know you've read uh, a couple of the stories and I'm, uh, I'm happy to be a part of it. <laughs> yeah. And it's, oh, it's, I cannot, I cannot believe. And it was one of these weird things. I was still half drunk. It was a Sunday morning and Sunday morning <laughs> at FCON's always a sort of, it's the chill out time. People are saying goodbye because everyone's getting ready to go. And there's n- the only sort of big things are on at the AGM and the, the, the award ceremony. I was sitting there and it just like, it bang, smack, oh, fucking hell. Right, I've got an idea on how to deal with this book. And I went running through to the PS publishing stand because that's who's publishing the book. Oh, and nice. Yes, the, the guy that owns PS was there and Rob was there. And I went, right, Rob, you can tell me to fuck off because it's, it's own, you know, but I've got this idea for this book. And just just the look of, of sheer, my God, how, how happy he was that anyone would even be stupid enough to even attempt to do something like this <laughs> was right i'm doing it let's doing it and it's it's gone smoothly everything there all the everything's out i'm just waiting on you know i've got 25 percent of the secret stuff back so yeah. which was amazing considering how it wasn't that long ago I sent everything out so yeah another thing is i'm cu- curating the um horror thread for the chimera festival in america uh, in america in edinburgh sorry it's only in its second year. I, I chaired two panels last year, which was good. And it's more like it's a, well, it's a book festival rather than a convention. So you, you can buy oh, okay. like a weekly ticket, a yeah. weekend ticket for the whole thing, which will get you access to everything. Or say there's only two authors there that you want to go and see. You can spend a fiver and go and see that author, which is brilliant. But it's grown this year. So I've been in charge of curating the horror thread for that. And uh, yeah, it's going nice. to be great. I can't really say exactly who's going until we make the official announcement. But if you're anywhere in the UK and anywhere near Edinburgh over the 5th, 6th and 7th of June this year, then get yourself to Chimera. You can, it's, it's brilliant. There was a fantastic atmosphere there yesterday. It was like all these things you all went into thinking, okay, sounds a bit, mm, not quite sure. <laughs> but within half an hour of being there, I thought this is brilliant. This is going to take off. And everyone that I spoke to had a fantastic time there. I wish and I it's could go. A lot of good authors coming for it's like the science fiction, fantasy, and horror there. Uh, you know, obviously, why it's called you know it's a play on the Chimera, and that's it's going to be amazing. This I've got two big, big names in UK horror coming, and actually, no, two, three, four. Yeah, no, actually, there's a lot because we had a surprise um, entry in today of another oh. author. So yeah, it's worth coming worth coming it's, there's a lot of big people coming and it's brilliant it's a good festival other than that yeah i'm just sort of plodding along doing what i do and trying to stay out of trouble <laughs> <laughs> i wish i could go to that man but that's a little bit too expensive for uh yeah i know i've always wanted to come over to america to do the big cons and 
I'm gutted because Stoker Collins over here this year and and scares the care, man. Yeah, and I just I can't. I, it sounds silly. I, I just I just can't justify the expense to go into Stoker Con this year with with everyone else that's going on. So not silly at all. I get I'm it. Gutted that I'm missing that. Sorry. Not silly at all. I can't afford to go over there. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, I mean, I mean, Stoker Con's what three and a half. Of, our train journey away from me but just the expense of everything and you know you see like Alan Baxter's coming all the way over from Australia I don't think you could get further away and yeah, yeah. I can't afford you know a, a quick train ride down down to Scarborough but it's just no it's just not feasible this year and I'm absolutely gutted I was trying to figure out if I could afford to just go down take the train down and get the train home at the end of the night but I don't even think that's feasible but yeah, you know, you've, you've got, you know, you can't do everything. No, uh, I'm fortunate enough where I get to go with my family to scares of care. That's my first calling, and I'm excited. And hopefully my little guy uh, has fun, too. Oh, yeah. I mean, to be honest, talking to the scares of cares, I asked Brian if he was coming over for, for Stoker Con. And if he'd said he was, then I would have been, ah, fuck it, I'll go and sell a kidney. I'll, go, I'll make the <laughs> money down there. Because, I mean, I've known Brian for, again, from before, you know, Facebook and MySpace and all that, you know, we've had our ups and downs, we've had the odd falling out, but the amount of respect I've got for Brian Keane is just unbelievable. He's a, I like to think of him, he's like the American version of me. I just don't have the, the balls to have a podcast to say exactly what I think and I tackle it. But, you know, yeah. Well, speaking Brian, of, <laughs> speaking yeah, of I'm, that, I'm, you, got, you got my platform. You're more than welcome to come on anytime especially i don't know however long i do this you're always welcome oh man that's brilliant cheers man yeah um it was great talking to you i can't believe two hours actually no i can't believe it's been two hours already (laughs) i told i told you i can waffle on i told you (laughs) (laughs) that's without a drink in either one of us i think but uh yeah and that's me slightly still hungover and you know (laughs) you see me when i'm fully awake and and on the go (laughs) Well, hopefully some people listen through the whole thing, uh, and hopefully some people tell us what they thought. But I loved it. I really enjoyed talking to you. Um, again, anytime, you're welcome. So thank you uh, for doing this with me, Jim. Thanks a lot, Patrick. Thanks for having me. It's been an absolute honor. My first podcast ever. Well, I can, <laughs> I, I'm honored that I get to be your uh, cherry popper. <laughs> <laughs> All right, brother. I'll talk to you later. Talk to you later, my friend. Take care. You too. Bye. Cheerio. We are in your mind. We are all around. You are now leaving. Deadhead space.